good morning, saints. Good morning, sinners. I was, I was telling Nick, I feel like a Baptist preacher. You know, they've got the flowers right in front of the pulpit and everything. This is, man, this is, feels good. I need a, plex, need a plexiglass pulpit now and taller shoes. But anyway, our text today begins with these words. After these things. After these things. Now, as being good students of the Bible, our first duty as readers of the text is to ask, uh, what things? What things is the writer pointing us to? Well, last week, Pastor Nick shared uh, the story about Abraham and his concubine Hagar and their son Ishmael. Um, and apparently there was this familial discord between Abraham's wife Sarah and Hagar and Isaac and Ishmael. We don't know what the deal was, but, but Sarah said, I want those two out of my house. We're not exactly sure why, but we know that things were tense. So Abraham being an obedient husband, said, yes, dear. And he went to Hagar. Now, never mind now, before he does this, we have to remember Abraham is a proven entrepreneur already in the story. We know Abraham in the story is already a proven battlefield leader. Um, we also know in the story um, he's extremely rich at this point. And so he obeys Sarah, and he sends Hagar and Ishmael off with fatted calves and oxen and goats? No. A loaf of bread and a skein of water. Personally, I, we hope we gave, he gave her at least a kiss, kiss goodbye, but we don't know. I don't think this is one of Abraham's high mark moments in the story for me. I mean, just bread, just water, really? That's it, Abraham? Sing them off into the wilderness with just that? Really? Oh, yeah. And then in the Abraham story, after these things, yeah, we, we can't remember there were two times when Apparently, Sarah was a beautiful woman, and there were two times, once when Abraham went to Egypt and the other time back in Canaan, two royal families, um, they were enamored with Sarah and her looks, and Abraham told her, listen, we're going to say that you're my sister, okay? You're not my wife, you're my sister, so they won't turn around and kill me so they can marry you, and so he lied. And unfortunately, he lied both to the Egyptians as well as to the Canaanites, and the, the results of that lie were some dire consequences for the Egyptians and the Canaanites who had things happening to them, and they were going, what's going on? Abraham had to, Abraham had to fess up. Oh, yeah, and one more thing about after these things. Um, as we look at Genesis, this part of Genesis up until now, 
we're reminded that the first 11 chapters of Genesis describe the story of a creating God who from nothing created all that is, was, and ever will be. And God, he, his purpose was to establish relationship with the people and the creation that God had made. But it just didn't go too well. We had this penchant for killing each other. We had this penchant humanity did to build idols of man, made out of man-made items and worship them or build magnificent structures that reached to the heavens like the Tower of Babel. We didn't think we needed the Lord. And here we forget that God hit the reboot button with Noah and the great flood. God hit the reboot button. I'm going to start again. They're not getting it. And here we have in our story, God said, I've got to make this more Crayola, more obvious. I'm going to select one man, one family, and one group of people who are going to get to know me so intimately, they are going to tell the rest of the world all about my righteousness and my justice. So I'm going to pick Abraham, and that's what brought us to this point. So, let us listen to the word of the Lord. Abraham, uh, Genesis chapter 22, verses 1 through 14. After these things, God tested Abraham. God said to him, Abraham, here I am, he said. Take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer Isaac there a burnt, as a burnt offering on one of the mountains that I will show you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. He set out and went to the place in the distance that God had showed him. And on the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place far away. Then Abraham said to the young men, I want you to stay here with the donkey. The boy and I will go over there, we will worship, and then we will come back to you. So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it upon his son Isaac. And he himself carried the fire and the knife, so the two of them walked on together. Isaac said to his father, Abraham, Daddy, here I am, my son. The fire and the wood are here, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And so the two of them walked on together. When they came to the place that God had shown him, Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order. 
he bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And then Abraham reached out his hand. He took the knife to kill his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he said. Do not lay your hand on that boy or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God. Since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught in the thicket by its horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. My friends, this is the word, difficult as it may be, of God. Friends, this is a sticky, difficult text. It immediately assaults our sensibilities about how um, a benevolent God would and could demand harm to a child. What father would sacrifice his son? What God would demand a child to be sacrificed? And sadly, we have read stories how people have twisted Scripture like today's text and others, and they've twisted the Scripture to condone child abuse or battery. Because, you know, the Bible says it's okay. Look what God told Abraham, you know? Friends, we need to hear and get one thing straight right away. The Bible doesn't say it's okay. We must stick with the text. We've got to stick with the text. Verse 1 reads, After these things, God tested Abraham. The purpose of this story is less about Isaac as it is about the evolving relationship between God and Abraham. God doesn't want Abraham to kill Isaac. There, there are no competent biblical scholars that see that. The Old Testament scholar Terence Fretheim writes that it's not God's intention to kill Isaac and receive a sacrifice. Rather, it's to test the mettle of Abraham's faithfulness which, he says, quote, is essential if God is going to move into the future with him. It's on Abraham. We often hear this story, and we, we immediately think, well, gosh, look at what's at stake for Abraham in the text. Look at what's at stake for Isaac in the text. Never mind what's at stake for Sarah, who's back home wondering what is going on with those boys. All good questions, all good statements. What's at stake? And yet I want us to reflect this morning on something. I want us to ask a, a third question. 
not with what's at stake for Abraham or for Isaac or Sarah. Let's instead ask and reflect upon what is at stake for God in the story? What's at stake for God in this story? In our mutual faith journeys, if we are honest, we usually focus on what's at stake for me and my relationship with God, you and your relationship with God. Um, oftentimes, it's, it's personal stakes that we have. Uh, what are the consequences of a change in job? Uh, what are the opportunities if I marry this person? What might happen to us if we get pregnant now? What cancer protocol and treatment should I choose? What will be my options if I fail this exam? All those are examples that we have personal stakes in something. And I'm simply asking us for this brief moment to step out of the me mode and ponder what the stakes are confronting God at any given time? What are the stakes that are confronting God at any given time? Like in today's story with Abraham and Isaac. Now, we have to remember, friends, the only ones who know that this is a test is who? God and you. Abraham doesn't know it's a test. We know it's a test. God knows it's a test. Abraham does not know that it's a test to plumb the depths of his faithfulness. Now, we might cynically say, well, you know, God is omniscient and all that stuff. Um, he knows how Abraham would have responded. But if indeed that were the case, then why did God need to test him to begin with? We also do not have any indication that this test is designed to teach Abraham anything in particular. It's not trying to teach him a lesson. In fact, the only one who gets a lesson out of this is God. Abraham simply hears God and obediently reacts to what he's told. The request for sacrifice is to confirm one thing and one thing only. Does Abraham trust God? Or to put it in a different way, to reframe it, in a more radical way, can God trust Abraham? The only one who learns anything from this lesson in the story is God. In verse 12, God declares, Now I know you fear God. The test is for God's benefit. Church of the Brethren pastor and author Eugene Roop says that in our story today, uh, God took the risk that Abraham would respond <laughs> And Abraham took the risk that God would provide. You see, beloved, what's at stake for God in our story 
is the depth of Abraham's faith and whether or not there will indeed be a future in and through him. That's what's at stake. Will there be a future lived out through Abraham, his family, his tribe, leading to Jesus? Even though God likely knew what Abraham would do, God did not have absolute certainty that Abraham would pass that test. God had to check it out. You see, God has plans to express himself to all people through Abraham. And if you think about it, God places, God places the future plans of the Hebrew people the expression of God's justice and righteousness to all the world through Abraham and his lineage, he places all that into the responsibility in Abraham's hands there holding a knife on Mount Moriah. God's got a lot at stake to lose. based on what Abraham does or doesn't do. Now, I suppose what I want to know is what does God have at stake in your life of Christ followership and in mine? What does God have at stake in the way the elders of this church steer her and guide her? What does God have at stake by the way you cast your vote or support the candidate you support? Beloved, if if we think what we do or don't do individually does not matter and will not impact others, we live in a delusion or in the great state of denial. Little things matter. Each of us are trim tabs on a ship's rudder. A trim tab or... The, the rudder glides the boat through the water in the general direction the ship is supposed to go. But the trim tab, a small rudder on the ship's rudder, gives the ship its precise direction and position. So think about it. If, if, if God's mission um, in the world is represented by a ship, the church is the ship's rudder guiding it through the water. But, beloved, each of us in our walk with God are trim tabs on that rudder directing God's ministry in this church, in our lives, in missional direction. 
Beloved, God has a stake in you. God has a stake in what you and I do or don't do, whether we succeed or fail. It matters to God. It makes a difference out there in the world. Each and every day, like Abraham, we are being tested in the big things and in the little things. How, though, you and I respond to those tests Give direction to the ministry God has planned for each of us and for this church. Friends, God knows it's hard for us to be us. That's why it's important to remember that in this simple, powerful meal right in front of me, this meal of bread and wine, that we are being fed from the hand of the Savior. And we are given food for the journey. It is food that will lead us to the land of Moriah, which means the land of clarity and vision. It's food, brothers and sisters, that will nourish us to know how to assuredly walk in the steps of Jesus. It's also a meal that promises that if we fail, if we fall, if we mess it up, that God will extend the hand and pick us up and say, sweetheart, let's try it again. That's the power of this meal. What does God have in stake for you, brothers and sisters? Let's get fed at the table and let's find out. Pray with me. Holy One of God, lead us to Mount Moriah. Lead us to the place of clarity and vision that we can hear your voice, see the movement of you in our life, and make decisions that make a difference for the kingdom and the realm of God. Lord, each of us face tests every single day where the quality the tone, the tenor, the very makeup of our faith is, is tested. Is it strong here? Is it weak here? What needs to be purified out of it? Lord, we can't do it alone. That's why we need to be fed, fed by your hand, nourished by your spirit. For Lord, you have a stake in each and every one of us, in each in our ministries and in this church. Oh Lord, help us to identify what that is. And help us 
here the direction to go. Jesus, take this bread, this cup, and separate them from its everyday purpose. Lord, in ways we do not understand, may they become the body and blood of Christ as we are mystically lifted into the presence of Jesus in heaven, surrounded by the saints who have gone before us, And Lord, in this meal, we commune with you and with them, and we strengthen one another. Come, Holy Spirit, come. And all of God's people say Friends, this is the Lord's table. It is not a Presbyterian table. Any and all who profess Jesus as Lord and Savior it's, it's prepared for you. You have been given some communion kits. If you do not have one, please raise your hand and one of our ushers will make sure you have one. The night that Jesus was betrayed, he was with his closest disciples. He said, um, friends, I go and I prepare a place for you In my daddy's house, there are many rooms. And I go and I prepare a room just for you. So that I can come and take you where you are and bring you to where I am. He took the bread. He said, beloved, this is my body, which is for you. Take and eat all of it in remembrance of me. And in like manner, he took the cup. He said, beloved, this is my blood shed for you. This is a sign of the new promise between God and all people. And the Apostle Paul reminds us that as often as we eat of this bread and drink from this cup, we proclaim the Lord's life, death, and resurrection until he comes again. That's good news. Friends, the table of God prepared for the people of God. Take and eat and drink.